May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The part of the story we didn't read in the book of Ruth goes something like this. In the ancient Near Eastern world, um, the, the, the role for marrying widows it came with a pecking order. It looks like this, that, that there is a right that someone has to marry a widow. Not just anybody could marry a widow and in the, the process take her property. There is a, a sequence of people who can do this. You remember the story of Ruth and her tale of woe, don't you? She's from Moab. Um, she's a widow. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, also a widow. Her sister-in-law, Orpah, also a widow. Three widows. Orpah goes off to be back with her family. But Ruth will not leave Naomi to face the world alone. So despite being a Moabite, being a a Gentile, she takes off with her mother-in-law, Ruth, and heads back to the land of Judah. Back in the land of Judah, things aren't always really that easy for Moabite people, especially Moabite women. And yet, Ruth goes with her mother-in-law, Naomi. In, in, In Israel, in Judah... Men would not likely marry a Moabite woman. Almost never. In fact, they were sort of regarded as, um, as, you know, unmarriable. So when Ruth goes back with Naomi to the land of Judah, she has has sort of uh, relegated herself to the unlikely possibility of ever marrying again. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, a woman past childbearing age, also has almost no hope of being married again because bearing children was part of the equation in her world. Ruth has, however, once married a Jewish man. She was married to a a guy named Milan, who was, as I said, Naomi's son. And his name suggests that that he was probably sickly or weak. And so there's this history that kind of goes with this woman Ruth and this other woman Naomi as they head back into the land of Israel. I really like this woman Ruth because she sort of thinks with her heart, doesn't she? She doesn't... She doesn't act, um, you know, uh, calculated in her ways. She just sort of acts impulsively. This is what needs to be done. This is what's the right thing to do. Let's do it, even if the consequences are kind of severe. She, she acts first and thinks later. And it looked like, for a minute, she got herself into a very precarious situation. If it wasn't for the fact that just in the nick of time, there's this fellow named Boaz. And Boaz kind of likes Ruth. He thinks she's kind of cute. And he wants to marry her. But as I said, there's a bit of a pecking order. You can't just marry a widow and take her property. Boaz isn't first in line. And so chapter 4, that we didn't read, but chapter 4 begins earlier in the chapter. We did read part of it. Earlier in the chapter, there's a business meeting. The chapter kind of starts off with a business meeting. It's easy for us to miss some things when we all of a sudden see something coming up against our sensibilities. We don't like, um, we don't like this idea that a marriage is a business transaction. That some men are debating about whether or not who wants to buy this property. And with the property comes a couple women in the deal, you know. Um, we don't like that. I mean, it's, it's repulsive to our sensibilities. And, and so we almost will miss, if we, if we aren't careful, what's going on in this passage. I went to see um, Lincoln this past week, and I don't know if any of you have seen this, but um, the, the film, uh, it deals m- almost entirely with the passing of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, the, the amendment abolishing slavery. 
And, and we're watching the film, and I remember there's this part. I, I go in there with my mother and, and two of my sons and um, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, a couple of nieces and nephews. I mean, we have this big crowd, and we're, 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 we're cramming into this packed theater. And, 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 you know, I'm sitting in my mother's right directly behind me. My mother thinks that films are participatory. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, they often require talking back to them. And, um, and she doesn't do this quietly either. And so, uh, you know, I'm just wondering how this is going to go. And there's a part where they're debating the 13th Amendment on the floor of the House of Representatives. And, and one of the congressmen who's against the amendment says, what will happen once we free the slaves? Will you give them the vote? Oh, no, everybody starts shouting. That would be ridiculous, preposterous. And then the congressman goes on, what next, women? And my mother at this point feels like she's compelled to speak. And she says, oh, no, we couldn't have that, could we? Um, out loud so everybody can hear. Sometimes we miss things. They, they clash against our sensibilities, and rightfully so. We look back in history, and, and we're, we're repulsed by it in some way. And so we don't really hear what's going on. And such is the case of the story of Ruth. And Boaz and this unnamed suitor or would-be suitor who could step in between Ruth and Boaz and buy this property. I mean, we don't like the idea that, that these two men are, are, are talking about a piece of property and, and, and women are involved in it sort of like appliances that go in the deal. I mean, that just, that just is repulsive to us. And, and so we, we almost miss what's going on. There's a cousin who has first dibs. And Boaz says to him, but if you buy this property, you get two widows in the deal, and you have to marry one. And one of the one, and the one that you marry, you have to raise up children for her late husband. And the guy says, "You know what? This is basically what he says. I want the property, but I don't want the baggage that goes along with it." And Boaz is completely the opposite. He doesn't really care much about the property, but he wants this woman. He wants this woman. He wants to save her mother-in-law. And so he steps in. He does just the opposite. The difference is so slight. And like I said, it's so repulsive to our sensibilities that we almost miss it. But what he does is a big deal. Boaz saves Ruth. In the process, he saves Naomi. He, he does a great thing. He is salvation. And you know how I know? Because there's a little baby that's born. A little, ba a little baby called Obed. In Hebrew, Ovid. Ovid, he, he's, he's the part of the And if you are watching this, if this were a film, when this little baby is born, this is the part where the, where the, you know, the classical music strikes up. You know? And you realize all of a sudden, all the things that could have gone wrong didn't. Naomi, this good, true woman who risked everything and told her daughter-in-law, go back, I'm ready to go by myself. She survives. Ruth, this young woman who, who took off into a foreign country where she was hated, despised, rejected. She actually finds somebody who loves her, who wants her. Boaz, this honorable, kind man who had a chance of missing out on what he wanted. Well, it doesn't happen. And he gets to marry Ruth. All the things that could have gone wrong didn't. And you see this picture of Grandma Naomi rocking this little baby on her lap. And it's a great story. I mean, it's a fantastic story. And if that were all there was, it would be worth saving for centuries as we have. But you know that's not the end of the story, right? I mean, this is where Paul Harvey steps in and says, no, there's more. This, there's the rest of the story that goes with this because this really isn't Boaz's story. 
nor is it Ruth's story, nor is it Naomi's story. This is Israel's story. This is Israel's story because you heard it. Little, little Ovid grows up, doesn't he? And he has a son. And little Ovid names his son Jesse. And little Jesse grows up and he has eight sons. Yes, eight. Okay, and he, he names them all sorts of things. But the last one, the eighth one, he names. He names David. David, the most famous king of Israel. David, the one who wrote so many psalms. David, the one who received the promise, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, a temple, and I will establish his kingdom, 2 Samuel 7, forever. David, the one who received a promise from God, I will establish a king from your family who will reign over Israel. How long? Forever. You're like my mom. You're participating. Forever. Forever. Little Ovid grew up, had a baby called Jesse. Jesse grew up, had a baby called David. Naomi's story. And Ruth's story and Boaz's story was hidden within Israel's story, within David's story. But more than that, their stories were all caught up in God's story. This is the story about how God is saving Israel. This isn't about Ruth as much as it is about Ruth. It's not about Naomi as much as it is her or Boaz or any of them. It's not even about little baby Ovid or even about David. This is about what God is doing. He is at work in Israel, he's at work in the world saving people. It's even more than about all of their stories. Listen to this. It's about your story and my story. Because we too are all caught up in this story of what God is doing in the world. I love that Ruth doesn't pray her way through this situation. Not that I don't like the people. I want people to pray. Trust me. Please pray a lot and do it lots, okay? But I like that Ruth in this story doesn't pray her way through. Did you notice that? She doesn't, oh, God save me, you know, do something great for me, whatever. Ruth is like busy. She's out making plans. She's working angles. She's doing everything she can. See, this story is about God intersecting Ruth's life, not the other way around. And you're sitting here this morning. Is it because you decided one day, oh, you know, I think that Christianity gig sounds pretty good, you know? Uh, or, hmm, I, may, I think I might try this. No, it's about God intersecting your story. That He is at work in you before you're ever at work in Him. That's what it means when we talk about grace. And you know how I know all this? Well, because this isn't even in this little genealogy the end of it let me can i read you another genealogy from the bible abraham was the father of isaac isaac the father of jacob jacob the father of judah and his brothers and judah the father of perez and and zerah by tamar and perez the father of hezron hezron the father of ram ram the father of minadab minadab the father of nashon you think I, i've heard this before uh, oh and and ov by ruth and O.V., the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David, the father of Solomon. You think, oh, okay, Joe, I think I've heard this before. Where does this story end? Well, it ends something like this. And Eliezer, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph. 
the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. You see, all this story is about what God is doing, not just in Israel, but for the world. How was it that Boaz found in his heart to love an outsider? Because Boaz is is doing what God does, loving the outsider. How is it that Boaz finds it in his heart to bring this family in? Because that's what God does. That is the story of salvation. And it's all wrapped up in this little bitty word, you know, this little bitty sentence. And she bore a child and they called him Ovid. And Ovid was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And David was the one who received a promise. And that promise came to fulfillment in the birth of Jesus, the son of Joseph. And as Luke reminds us, the son of God. And is this Jesus the King through whom all of our stories are caught up? And through whom we get to enjoy life forever and ever? And I think that is really good news. Don't you? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.